technology that just increases knowledge for me is a uh, is an is an error of a- application. That's not the right way to make it accessible. Technology, I think, that nudges what we already know rather than tries to educate us and turn us all into scientists of our own lives. That's where the opportunity continues to lie. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have Dr. Tom Waller, Senior Vice President, Advanced Innovation and Chief Science Officer at Lululemon Athletica. Lululemon, for those that don't know, is a $51 billion apparel company that acquired connected at-home fitness company Mirror last year for $500 million. In 2012, Dr. Waller founded Whitespace, Lululemon's internal R&D and ideation group. In this group, Tom heads up a team of 30 creative innovators and R&D experts spanning the fields of science, technology, engineering, and materials with a common focus on inventing the company's product future. This includes developing what Lululemon defines as the science of feel, a holistic approach that explores how clothing makes the wearer feel and how this impacts their performance potential. The belief being that when a person feels good, they perform to their true potential. This approach has led Tom and his team to investigate a range of performance-related and fundamental garment characteristics, including tactile qualities, how fabric travels with or across the skin as the body moves, and even the noise it makes in response to movement. Before Lululemon, Dr. Waller served as head of Aqualab at Speedo International Limited, where he led the new product and fabric development of all Olympic elite swimming projects. Having completed his PhD in 2004 at Loughborough University, he was appointed as head of R&D at the Loughborough spin-out company Progressive Sport Technologies, which offers a range of testing and development services to global sports brand. Now, in the industry, we hear a lot about high-performance tech development and design driven by elite sports, and then also a lot at the other end of the spectrum about health tech innovation from the medical field. But the majority of consumers in their day-to-day lives, in pursuit of better physical and mental performance, don't associate with or even interact with either of those uh, ends of the spectrum. So a large part of the conversation today is what role can consumer brands like Lululemon play in this void? And to cover that up, I can't think of anyone better than Dr. Tom Waller. Tom Waller, uh, SVP, Advanced Innovation and Chief Science Officer at Lululemon. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Lululemon is one of the I would say the most respected brands in the in the consumer um, space that it operates in. Certainly, it has a as a loyal following. It's had incredible growth over the last little bit, and also looking at what it's doing in the area that I live in, sports technology and kind of um, connected fitness and all that, um, making some big moves. But as a brand, what role can it uniquely place? to drive that innovation across health, wealth, wellness, and fitness uh, as an ecosystem? Well, interestingly, health, fitness, well, well-being is a, it's a, it's a term that we all use regularly. And interestingly, I'm not sure we all understand exactly what that means. And, and if you think about the role that, that brands tend to play is that we help to I suppose, legitimize, maybe compartmentalize those different aspects. I, I, I think back to there are many brands that have done a wonderful job at framing what team sports is for the world, framing what maybe versions of fitness is for the world, um, or maybe even framing what sickness is for the world. Mm-hmm. If we think about you know, Big Pharma and certainly what we've lived through in the last 12 months and the role that some of these incredible organizations have played in 
you know, helping to accelerate, you know, the release of a vaccine, say, you know, we're all familiar of those brands and the steps they've, they've had to make. If we look at, if we look at well-being, well-being on its own is starting to mean something very much more to consumers, in my mind, in that uh, it's something that we all deeply care about, to a certain extent, worry about. It's, it's, the, it's an area that we're all looking for our version of what does healthy mean to us? Uh, what is our potential and how can we get there? Is it at the, at the bottom of some you know, strange and emerging practice or a potion or a pill or, you know, just, just something that um, I guess we're, we're stretching, straining, looking, searching. And so I think you know, Lululemon as a brand has, has done a, a pretty good job in formulating around that there is a series of practices of well-being that can be sort of consolidated together, represented by an image, an experience, uh, a state of mind, that um, we then just make it tangible for people to, to join us. And I'd say that the best thing that we did really is recognize that our job, you know, what the world hires us to be is a well-being community. You know, most, things that, most things that result in you having a greater sense of well-being are pretty hard to do. You know, they're, certainly, they're certainly harder than all of the stuff that's trying to distract us, whether that's you know, scrolling through our feeds, eating cake, you know, watching endless you know, back-to-back series you know, through the various streaming platforms. But those are easier to do and they feel quite good. The hard things of you know, exercise, following a balanced uh, and healthy diet, you know, really, really making time for stress uh, management and sleep and, and having incredible relationships. All of those things, you know, the brilliant basics we call them, are sort of straightforward but a little harder to do or a little, a little less clear about what's the right thing to do than the easier step of sitting down in front of a streaming service and eating cake. Yeah. So I think what, what Lou Lemon did was just say, well, we recognize these things take a little bit of sweat. We actually refer to, to these practices as the sweat life. So those people that live the sweat life, are, if that's a phrase that anyone has ever heard, that's, that's probably come from us. You know, we, we really do stand by this thing called the sweat life where people take themselves on physically, they take themselves on emotionally and they take themselves on socially. And we just figured that the most important well-being practice is the one that you actually do. And the one that you actually do should be enjoyable. Mm. So let's make it fun. Let's mm. make it easy. Let's not, let's not put it behind baffling science. Let's put it... Um, you deeply into the community let's put real people that really live this way as partners to that community let's create sensory experiences in the clothes and other products that we build that create a sense of delight in choosing to do something hard like go for a run so just think that there's a there's a there's a framing a positioning that then helps us to be one of those brands that um does that work of legitimizing and orientating the consumer around well-being as something that's not woo, not mysterious, not um, backed by pseudoscience, but actually backed by science. Yeah. Actually backed by designed experience.
and, and approachable and something that you've said to me previously, which really stood out is, is brand done well as an extension of oneself. So yeah. it's, it's actually, if there's a brand that people associate with and really connect with on a, on a deep level and make them feel seen and make them feel kind of accepted, that's more likely to um, lead to behavioral change because it's an extent or, or, or can, not necessarily behavioral change, but continuing on those good behaviors um, in that way. And just, I guess, taking a step back and, and where this question comes from about the unique role that can consumer brands can play in driving that innovation. Um, when we look at it, and this is my conception of, of the industry, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, is we look at that health, wellness, and fitness. And I guess those three buckets, if you see where they come from, health comes from traditional medicine. So as you said, you know, um, big pharma, well, that's, that's hospital. It's a very sterile um, and a very uh, pragmatic area and, and maybe pragmatic is not the word, but in the sense of if you've been in a hospital and there's hospital equipment, and this is specifically talking about innovation technology. So say I have a heart rate monitor across these three areas. In the hospital, it's not going to be something that I'm going to be wearing on the street. It's probably very, very kind of just rudimentary and in kind of its, its design and feel and the aesthetics of it, but it gets the job done. And then we think about something like fitness, I say coming from elite sports um, and then that bleeding down from the levels, it might be something that's very complex and, and um, hard to grasp. And then wellness, it's one of those things, well, technology, where does technology fit in wellness? And I think something like a, a Lululemon or another consumer brand um, is able to make those technology tools more accessible for people that may not have um, considered themselves either needing it in a kind of health sense where it's, it's, a, it's like a pacemaker or something there or seeing themselves as an elite athlete or that, that they really need that. It's, it's much more accessible. Is that something that you see the, the kind of evolution in that space? Yes, I'd say making technology accessible isn't necessarily though the uh, mission. You know, technologies that create meaning win. Uh, technologies that just drive knowledge acquisition, they assume that we are all scientists of our own lives. And that isn't necessarily true because if knowledge was behavior, then knowing that we should all wear sunscreen, sleep like we mean it, not eat too much cake, not, not drink too much alcohol, that we all know those things. Yeah are not good for us and we still do them yeah and so technology that just increases knowledge for me is a uh, is an is an error of application that's not the right way to make it accessible technology technology that enables human connection the the validation of the way that you feel it's like yeah i feel good yes you do like look at this look at this result that, that then encourages me to keep doing what I'm already doing that's really working or I'm feeling a bit shitty I'm a bit tired and it's like yeah this is this is the time this is the time to make the most of your R&R yeah so there's there's so technology technology I think that nudges what we already know rather than tries to educate us and turn us all into scientists of our own lives that's where um 
that's where the opportunity continues to lie. I mean, I think heart rate's always a great example because I'm still not sure we figured out how to heart, how to make heart rate meaningful to every person. Mm. Yeah, because what we're saying is that heartbeats are like a critical currency, but it's probably not the heartbeats that are the currency. It's what the different shapes of heartbeats mean in the context of how I'm living my life on a daily basis. And so the accumulation of heartbeats is probably worth acquiring. The, the moment by moment um, obsession with, with those heartbeats is probably for the very few where critical attributes of performance really matter, whether you're in an, you know, uh, 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 an ICU um, you know, situation where absolutely we need to monitor, or actually the consumer doesn't need to monitor, the, the doctor needs to monitor. <laughs> And, um, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter what it looks like in terms of, as you said, they actually are more on scientists and medical yeah. professionals and, and the aesthetics of it and how that information is given, yeah. But the same as elite sport. In elite sport, heart moment-to-moment heartbeats can really matter. Mm. But, it, but it's the coach and the, and, the, and the sports scientists and the physiologists and, that are really making sense of that data. So, again, it's, it's, it's the support crew that really need the technology. And I think that... You know, we look at that as consumer brands and say, should we sell that to everyone? Is it like, does the world hire us to be there? They're like staff of doctors or start like staff of, you know, performance specialists. I'm not sure they do. Mm. I think, I think brand's responsibility is to empower the individual because the individual is like you said, looking at us as brands to be, to, to be an extension of them. So what are they actually hiring us to do? Are they actually hiring us to, to um, give them information or to curate that, that information? Or are they looking at us to create the environments where those behaviors really matter? Now, if heartbeats become a critical attribute of the right, making a good choice at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or at that moment during a particular exercise um, or, or period of effort, then great. But I, but I think that it's dangerous to just take it literally that what works in a high stakes environment like a hospital or, or an Olympic stadium doesn't necessarily translate to the high street or yeah. the forest or you know, the studio. So how do you evaluate a new piece of technology or digital innovation? How do you decide what's actually valuable, what's impactful beyond what's essentially a gimmick? We, we spend a lot of time looking at like the behavioral shifts that stick. Mm. So we know, we know, as I said, if we, if we assume that knowledge doesn't drive behavior, we, we look to see, well, what is enabling behavior? So whenever, whenever there's a technology, we say, is this a, is this a solution looking for a problem? And that, do we know what that problem is? Mm. Generally, what it comes down to is what we refer to as the metrics that matter. So what are the metrics that matter and can they be measured yet? Because unfortunately, not all metrics can be, that matter can be measured yet. And, and often that's, that's the challenge. So if we're presented with a particular sensor, we will, we will spend a lot of time saying, well, what, what can we do with this raw data in order that we can make it really useful and really meaningful? And then similarly, you know, we're, we're first and foremost, we're a clothing company. And you, we also have to think about what is, you know, if you think about what people really hire clothes to do, people don't necessarily buy clothes to be sensors. 
So people buy clothes for self-expression, for comfort, for protection in different environments. You think about, I, I mean, this is sort of a strange analogy I go to, but I like to think of the human as sort of 99% done. And then we, we polish the last 1% depending on our circumstances and it's called dressing ourselves. And so that, that, that 1% is, a, is, a, is an important functionality or utility that clothing has to perform. The first question that we should ask is, well, what would we do to use technology, you know, or, you know, digital technology to enhance that job? Because in that job, I didn't hire a T-shirt. I didn't buy a T-shirt to be a heart rate monitor. So why, why, do we, why are we so desperate to make it a heart rate monitor? What else could that T-shirt do for me in the thing that I already hired it to do in, in serving me with self-expression, utility in a particular task? of what did I dress for today? Uh, where's that? Where's that first application of technology that enhances those aspects of my experience? And I'd say that for me is there's, a, there's an important step that has to be considered and that's where we go first. It's what is the metric matter that enhances the experience of the product based on what I really want that product to be able to do and then what else could it do? And I, I actually really admire um, Apple and it's not a really a surprise that the Apple Watch is such a massively successful product. Um, because if you look carefully at the marketing, generally the first image you see is a beautifully built watch that seems to be really considered in terms of how it sits on your wrist. And what's the first thing? It's telling you the time. Yeah. That's what it has to do first. The fact that then I can build on all of this other utility because of the integration of, 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 of sensors and, 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 the, and the hardware software that now can enable like a totally enriched experience. But really, time and notifications, which is a version of contextual time, was the first lift. Like they made the watch function really good mm. rather than saying, we're putting a heart rate monitor on your wrist. Yeah. They did that too, but it was it didn't start there. They they took us on the right journey that is linking the natural behavior to the desired utility, to then a, a you know a series of steps that then then it then have me explore what else could it do. Yeah, and it's also the self expression that's involved in that product. I mean, in terms of subbing out uh, wristbands, or you can put um, you know different backgrounds. You can you can have that. Um, attachment to you know a very you know I mean everything that Apple is you know you talk about Apple fanboys and people queuing for phones and stuff like that I don't have to I don't have to describe what Apple means to a lot of people and as a Mac user and iPhone user myself um, but you still have that element of self-expression involved and that's interesting comparing to something like a whoop which goes the other way and goes no we are we are monitoring you but we are not anything else but that and, and everything pretty much looks the same. It's uniform. It's designed to be there, but, but it's about you as an elite performer um, and whether that's on the sports field or, you know, in a boardroom or whatever context you consider yourself an elite performer. So it's interesting the different directions and also around um, obviously concerns with privacy and stuff like that, Apple, Amazon, the kind of the fangs and how they're getting involved in that. And then Whoop's gone the other way and gone, no, we're just your data is on this, this separate um, ecosystem that we have. But as you said, they're, they're different 
approaches and something else I think about is the Google Glass um, in terms of a product failure because um, one it was ugly as sin um, anyone walking around with those things on her face on their face um, just yeah it just wasn't appealing uh, and then also it was it was starting from the tech point of view rather than what is this initial function um, that it, it's kind of trying to push too far um, into yeah, I guess uh, the that the uncanny valley maybe of, of the future and just going, well, this would be cool if we had this and you go, what's it actually in the here and now? What problem is it solving? Yeah, I really, I really deeply subscribe to the, um, the Nintendo approach to withering technology. I think that we have to understand technologies that create meaning first and what's the easiest way to do that that is most familiar to a consumer before we get into an arms race of, of, of technology. Um, it's easy to be distracted by the arms race. And um, I think it's a bit of a, a treadmill because then, you know, you were in a constant state of upgrade. But I'd, I'd say that um, the, the challenge of being an innovator is we usually arrive at the wrong time. And um, it's not that we're wrong. It's just that, it's just that we were a bit late or a bit early. <laughs> and we, we were a bit early with the wrong technology or maybe we're a bit late with the right technology. I'd say it's, it's, that it's part of the most fascinating part of the game of being an innovator is getting timing right. You know, because when you, when you, when you, when you understand that a technology is available, ready, um, you can be fooled into the act that therefore the race is to get it to market as quickly as possible. But the, the step that we often miss is that maybe the market's not ready mm. or worse that our business isn't ready. And so we actually have um, a quite a quite a nice. We're quite proud of it, actually. A, a method of managing our portfolio, where we look look across different you know, the horizons of of all of the different projects that we work on, and the horizons are each managed across an arc, and and each arc touches technical readiness and market readiness as a sort of a think about an X and a Y axis. So it allows us to acknowledge that even though a technology could be ready, the market may not. Mm. In particular, the business may not be ready. And that for, therefore, even though a technology might be moving towards horizon one, the project is still a horizon two, maybe even a horizon three, because of the aspects of the, you know, the readiness of you know, the world's ability or desire to consume, or the business is ready to set up the infrastructure to bring it to market. So is a very, very important dance between that awareness, there's an institutional awareness of where the company's at, what are the priorities, what are the, what are the, what are the competencies. You know, we can't assume that an apparel company can, can suddenly start to sell dairy products. You know, they're, like, they're, they're just very different. Mm. They require a different infrastructure, supply chain, designers, developers you know the whole the whole system is different so we have to be really cognizant of that and then similarly um, really ready and we'll likely ask for the latest technology 
but often the latest technology comes with a little bit of glitch, a little bit of unknown. You know, we have to accept a bit of a beta type state. And so there's going to be upgrades and, you know, we're going to, we're going to see some redundancy in some of those early releases. And, and, and that can lead to dissatisfaction in the consumer, which is, again, why I go back to like, what's the simplest technology that could be used right now to meet the needs of the, the market as they understand them right now? We shouldn't give them the shiniest necessarily um, because we put a lot of risk into the system. We can have a roadmap to the shiniest, but we should make it like you said earlier, accessible. Accessible is easy. Accessible is affordable. Accessible is um, reliable. And so there's an important management um, of, of a portfolio of innovation projects. And I can tell you that that's, that's from a history of hard knocks, <laughs> like yeah. generally getting things to getting a technology too early um, or or not being quite not getting the market quite ready enough. Yeah, I mean we've seen that with VR time and time again. I think it was like oh, five years ago with the VR. The the arrival of VR was was heralded, and we're still here. You know, another five years later, and it's and it's not quite found that match. Um, and obviously, a lot of investment going into to both sides of it. But that's something really interesting that. In the interim, AR has kind of stepped up and then now we're talking about mixed reality and things like that. But it's, um, yeah, it's been interesting to watch that, as you said, X and Y access between uh, technical and market readiness. So to your point earlier about, I mean, Lululemon can't start uh, selling dairy products tomorrow. I'm, you know, not going to rule it out if that's part of your strategic uh, roadmap to, to push into to dairy products, but in terms of the technology, uh, do you see that as inevitable that uh, apparel companies and consumer brands um, more broadly will push into the technology space? Is it is it one of those things that we'll look back on and go, well, obviously Nike went from selling shoes to selling all this different apparel and, and Lululemon went from yoga pants to being a complete kind of apparel lifestyle brand and obviously um, some of the, the technology as well. Is it is it just a matter of when, not if? Um, yeah, I think it's a when, not if. The, the, the infiltration of technology to the human experience will, will inevitably just help. Um, and... Um, we have to manage that pace, of course. And I think we, we've got to stick in the, the core, that core utility, making sure we understand the meeting of need. But if we accept that, say the role of, of clothing. So clothing is you know, generally not you know, connected um, in, its, in, its, in its base desire to serve the consumer. Um, but that said, the utility that clothing offers, self-expression, comfort, protection, you know, um, recognition to be mem member of a group. You know, there's something about that. So it gets a version of self-expression, but group expression. Um, 
if we if we can imagine that technology will enhance any of those utilities, then absolutely it's coming. And so that it has to be a when. Um, and that said as well, I have absolute confidence in in you know, in the rate of change of technology that then the integration of some of those other applications of, of technology, you know, clothing as as sensors, for example. When, when the compromise to clothing goes away, then of course the integration will happen. And you know, right now, if I want you know, the t-shirt that I'm wearing, which is relatively loose fit, it's just draping over my body, that's gonna, it's not a very good heart rate monitor. If I want the heart rate monitor version, it's, it's, it's tight and clinging to my body. Yeah. I'm not gonna choose to wear that all day. I'll choose to wear it for, a, you know, for a, the event where it's really useful, but it's a particular then item of clothing. It becomes, equipment you know a tool rather than how i would generally hold clothing yeah. so i say the when the when will happen and i have faith that we will be able to do more and i think similarly with take you know the anatomy of a watch at some point in history imagining that it could do all the things that it can now do would was not going to be available to us but now it is you know the the miniaturization and the the advancement of you know, of technology has has allowed that to to come into play. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's the it reaches the point that it kind of it reaches that um the Venn diagram, so to speak, between well, practically this is what it can do, and then also aesthetically, like when you can actually put them together. The technology advances. I mean, uh, phones, for instance, just that was a lot of that was held back by developments in batteries like how much you could actually power the device and how big it was and getting it down from a from a suitcase to a, a brick to a you know, smaller brick and then down to what we have today um and be able to power that computing uh the processing speeds and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's it's definitely the the, the constant battle for technology development um not just for the sake of it but to be able to actually put it into people's hands and, and get people to be using it yeah 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 the, the there is no wait 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 don't do anything and then just release the perfect thing we like there's there's going to be a lot of stuff that 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 are our stumbles along the way and we, we all accept that we all we all remember the periods where you know, what we relied on you know, enormous desktops for and, and, you know, what we could and couldn't have in our pocket and, you know, the phones that preceded what then became the iPhone or, or the, even the MP3 players that preceded what became the iPod or, I mean, not to just give Apple all the credit, but the, the there has to be a, a, an evolutionary pathway. And what we have to hope then, I guess, as, as, as companies is that, um, we at least get some traction for some time. Um, and that's about the art of, you know, picking the right technology level of readiness with the right level of market readiness. And I think consistently, as far as I can tell, any company and any, any industry that hits that sweet spot right tends to get a period of time where they can capture the imagination of the market and then use the success of that release um, to carry on investing in what the next iteration might be. And, you know, I think you, digital to a large extent is leading the way. It's when other, when an industry start to integrate. So maybe apparel and technology is 
a little slower, but automotive and technology is like flying, you know? So I'd say, I'd say that we just have to look carefully and learn from each other and um, recognize that there will be some failed ventures along the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the, that's the innovation path. So thank you so much for your time, Tom. Um, that's all, all the time we've got for today. So before you go, I want to uh, ask you one question that you always ask our guests, which is what is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh my word. Um, well, the one that immediately comes to mind is when uh, Johnny Wilkinson kicked the drop goal <laughs> at the, <laughs> the 2003 Rugby World Cup. Again, too, for our, for our US listeners and, and other. So that was England versus who? Australia. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I mean, I grew up playing rugby and um, uh, I was really early in my career in sports. And it was just, it was just a moment when, you know, and I'd followed you know, Clive Wilkinson and his approach to marginal gains and, you know, it was just where I was as a researcher in sports technology in a world of sport, having played rugby. It was like a moment where it, all, the, all that we believed or perceived that we were working towards came true. Like these great yeah. athletes reaching the top of their game, leaving no stone unturned. And, you know, we won the World Cup and, uh, and it yeah. doesn't happen. It doesn't. Ha I mean, the Brit, us Brits, we like to... Uh, you know, cling on to things that happened a really long time ago and so it's just nice to have one that happened in you know in my lifetime yeah 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 definitely i mean it's it's stings as, as an australian but i johnny wilkinson it's it is pretty iconic <laughs> he got a knighthood out of that as well i think so he's done i think a few of them did yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah was if, if you if you want to scale that you know how important that was for the nation um he's now sir johnny wilkinson so yeah, well, thank you so much, Tom, even with ending on that note. But uh, <laughs> it was great to chat to you and really excited to see what Lulu Women's doing in the space and, and yourself as well. Um, so we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. Thanks for being on Sports Tech Feed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Sports Tech Feed. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm your host, Thomas Loams. If you've got any questions, I uh, want to continue the conversation uh, with what's been discussed here, then reach out on LinkedIn, Thomas Alomes. Also sign up to our newsletter uh, once a week, uh, sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter. Great way to stay abreast of everything happening in the industry without being overwhelmed. Until next time, you're listening to Sports Tech Feed.